Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us once again as we continue on our teaching of Armor of God. We're going to start off in Ephesians um, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 we're, we're getting getting down to the last two teachings uh, again i want to read through it so that way we're all on the same page why we talking about even why we even talking about armor of god that it's not just a cool topic to talk about and it's cute uh, because we get to put cool stuff on but it's it's very very important for our sp- spiritual um, walk with god so verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler, against the authorities, against the power of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on full armor of God so that when the day of evil come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in its place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to focus on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation uh, we actually we, nor- we normally talk about um, what helmet stands for and everything else, but it's actually going to work work out better uh, if we mention it later on. Because when when we talk about a helmet of salvation, I feel like first thing that we need to do is define salvation and go through what salvation really means. Because I feel like um, it is something that people might argue about. What is salvation is because there's sometimes you know salvation starts starts at when you said that that prayer and you repeat it after that pastor or whoever that led you through and there's some people who might say that salvation you know when you get to heaven the god is going to tell you hey you're on the right side you know so i really wanted to talk about about that um about what that salvation means. So the, the couple of things that we're going to cover, we're going to talk about salvation, and then we're going to talk about sanctification, which are two, uh, for us, it's two very important, important things that in our walk with Christ that we need to know. The, so the, because it is two different things, and we're, we're going to talk about that. Uh, to start off, uh, we want to mention this verse in, in the First Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 8, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So um, Paul describes the helmet of salvation in another way. That it's the hope of salvation as a helmet. So it, it kind of gives, gives another view uh, of this helmet that he talks about. And again, uh, we'll dive into in the Old Testament. They talk about the helm, helmet of salvation. Also, we talked about in Isaiah, right? I think the um, the first the fir, or the first uh, teaching that we had, uh, Trish brought up that uh, that 
this armor of God is not something new that Paul is talking about because he's sitting there and looking at the, at the Roman soldier. This is the teaching that comes from the Old Testament that Isaiah talks about that God will put on the armor of God. And this is the armor of God. And it talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the helmet of salvation and, and things like that. Are you looking for it? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's just something that we need to focus on. First of all, why salvation? I feel like we need to talk, talk about that. Um, and we're, we're going to define it very, very quickly. We're going to look at first verses, Isaiah uh, chapter 59, verse 2. So Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Or hear, I'm sorry. Our inequities and our sin took us away from God. He's a holy God, and because of it, we're separated by him. From him, I'm sorry. That, that is the problem, the human problem that we have from the beginning. We walked with God, and then we could not know more. And as, as we kept on living our lives, we kept on getting further and further away from him. As we, we read through Genesis, it, it, took, us, it took only eight chapters. <laughs> I know it's six. You know what I mean? But the flood comes in chapter six. Yeah. Didn't yeah, take exactly. us very long. God created the world in six days and in six chapters we messed it all up. We just don't know how, how long those chapters are. Oh actually we do. Anyways, not the point. So we were so close that we were able to see him face to face. And then as the sin came into our life, we started going away farther and farther and forgetting what he has desired from us. And the desire was always for him to have that relationship with us. So because of the sin in this world, we're separated from him. Not only not only we're separate, we can't even see his face. And not only that, he's not even going to hear us. Um, so that, that is somewhere where uh, we, need, we need to be. This is somewhere where we want to uh, focus on. How can we get back with God? How can we be able to come before the Lord? How we can have that unity, that relationship with God? People have all these ideas about heaven. And there's a lot of great things about heaven and and the kingdom of God and everything else. But the greatest thing is finally being able to be before God. That he's going to be our light. That we're going to be able to have that relationship. That should be our biggest focus for the salvation. It's not that, I'm not going to go to hell. No. The great thing is that we're going to be with God in heaven. Uh, we want to start off this teaching in John chapter 3, 16 through 18. And we're going to, I, I don't want to stop just at John three sixteen. I know this is a very famous verse, but we're, we're going to go through all the way to uh, verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think it's, it's, it's important to realize this is Jesus is talking about. He's talking about what his father has done for this world. That he gave this world himself. That Jesus is talking about the only son. He's talking about this is me. God loves you so much that I came here. 
And I know in the back of his mind, he knows what that means. Not only he had to come down from his throne, but he also knows what's going to happen in, in a couple of years on that cross. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We can stop the teaching right there when it sees that salvation, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Perish meaning that we will be apart from God. Perish that we will be lost. Perish that, that, that all the, the hopes and dreams that we have for the future will stop. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A lot of people like to stop right there. Jesus is not here to condemn me. I can live my life any way I want to. Right? But here's the problem. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God, God's one and only son. We need to realize that that it's not that, that God is sending people, some to hell and some to heaven. No, we're all predestined for hell, which is separation from God. We're all condemned already. And he's given us the opportunity to be redeemed. That, that is these verses that are speaking very, very powerfully, very powerfully to us that we need, we need to really focus on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So that's why we need salvation. That's why we need to focus on what salvation is really about. It's because we're all condemned and without Christ, without believing in him and who he is and that God sent him to us, we will be condemned. That, that, that is... But when we speak, when I teach about salvation, these verses are, are so powerful and so, I think, an eye-opening because in this world, they really do. They, they, so, they keep saying that, why does God send people to hell? Why does he condemn them? And they do not understand that we are already condemned. That we, that's why we need a Savior. They think that we don't need a Savior. Why, why, I don't need Jesus. I, if I don't believe in God, then it will be fine. Well, you can not believe in him, but you still are condemned. Just because you don't believe in the judge, you're still going to go to jail. <laughs> like it or not, it's not like close your eyes. It's like, well, I don't see you, judge. Uh, I don't have to. Uh, that means I'm not going to go to jail. No, you're still going to have your due punishment. Right? So. So just to clarify, because you used a word, and I don't think you meant You said predestined. We want to get away from the word predestined. We're not predestined to hell. We are Hell is currently our destination. The world stands condemned. The world is perishing because the wages of sin is death. We're going to get into the steps. And some of this might be redundant if you've been a Christian for a while. You know Romans Road to Salvation. You know some of these verses. You may have them memorized by heart. But the point is, is that it's not that we start off our life and we have this choice of either heaven or hell. The reality is, is that we all fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, we are going to choose. We're, we're evil. We're enslaved to sin. And if we don't realize our starting point, our starting point is not that we have this free will to choose good or evil, like we have a good angel on one shoulder and a bad you know, mm -hmm. devil on the other. The reality is, is that we are in our human nature. It says this in Romans chapter 11, 
verse 32, God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. The reality is, is that under the law and under sin, all of humanity is enslaved to sin. And so we, though hell was not created for humanity, that is our inevitable destination if we don't come under the, the lordship of Christ. Because we're going to, Satan has us bound as his slaves. And through Christ, we have the opportunity to be set free. So some people may say, you know, I'm a good person, but you're not. No one is good. The Lord searches the earth and there is no one who is good, not even one. Mm -hmm. The only one who was perfect was Christ himself. And he gave himself as a love offering for you and for I so that even while we were right, this is this is, again, just quoting scripture, You're just naturally going into Romans that w- while we were enemies with God, right? Christ died for us, that he shows his love for us and this that while we were yet sinners, he died for us and our destination. So we're not predestined in the sense that God intended for intends for us to go to hell. He doesn't he wants again, John three sixteen. He doesn't want that any would perish. He wants us all to choose Christ and have eternal life. But we are in our natural state, not predestined, but destined uh, for hell because of our sinful nature. We can only choose, apart from Christ, apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we have no choice but to choose selfish, greedy, mm-hmm. um, sinful, evil. We love the darkness. We, this is not something that most people like to talk about. We mm-hmm. like to think that we're overall good people. But in our natural, normative state, human beings, are we gravitate towards the lust of the flesh. We gravitate towards things that are evil, towards things... We don't want God. In our natural state, we run from God. We... We rebel from God. You know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. We might think that we're doing good things, but in reality, our, our motives are very selfish. Um, we, have, we don't have in mind the things of God. We have in mind our own pleasures and our own satisfaction. And so we need salvation. It's just important to set this up so that we might say, well, put on the helmet of salvation. Well, what am I being saved from? If you think that you're just living your life and you don't have, there's no enemy that's out there and that hell is not a very real reality, then you don't need a savior. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is we need a helmet of salvation because we need a savior. We need to be saved. We need salvation in and of itself. Um, and the enemy would like us to think that everything is okay and that we have peace with God already just because we're good people. But it's not. We're at war with God. And we've talked about this in other series before today. Um, but it's always good to just remind us of our natural normative state is not that we're good people and that we're right with God. Our natural normative state is that we are bound over to sin and death and our natural gravitational desire is towards things that are evil and towards things that would take us away from God. Yeah, just to kind of jump on that, I, I should have kept on reading in John chapter 3. The second, next two verses kind of talk exactly what you said. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are, were evil. Like exactly what you said. And it says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So it's exactly what you, what you were just saying, that our normal state is, is evil. Right. And, and we like to quote John 3.16, but we don't like to well, you know, <laughs> quote the verses that follow. And the reality is, is that there, there was no free will. There was no choice apart from Christ. But because of what Christ did on the cross, we actually have an option, which is the option to turn to God, to repent, 
from our wicked ways, to repent from our sinful nature, and to choose the light. There was no, there is no light apart from God. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna people, especially at that time, and they will be judged by what they knew. But they looked at like, well, if I held the law the best way possible, then I would succeed. Then I would get closer to God. But nobody was able to hold that law. And uh, Romans, Romans chapter three kind of goes into it before we get into the the key verse of three twenty three, three twenty one says, "But now a righteousness from God apart from law." has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So we're talking about this righteousness, the right uh, standing with God, right? That's what, how we defined righteousness last time. How this righteousness, apart from the law, separated from the law, uh, we have this righteousness separate from the law. It continues, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So... Yes, there's righteousness, but it's separate from the law because, again, that law, you can follow the law the best way possible, but you're still not going to be that holy, perfect um, being that can come before God. So the only place that we can find it is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. That, that's, that's why we need to come to that place of why do we need salvation? Because all have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned. There's, there's no separation. There's no Jew or Gentile, free or slave, uh, followed this, this God, followed that God, followed... Um, circumcised, not circumcised, Sabbath, not Sabbath. There's, there's no, there's none of that. There's no separation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think that's a hard thing that people don't want to believe that they're sinners. I know when I accepted Christ, people were like, "Oh, praise God!" Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, "I was a good person then." I remember saying that. I was in the cafeteria right after I accepted Christ. And somebody was like, oh, man, you're going to turn out good now. Like, you're going to do good things. And I was like, I was doing good things before that. I mean, when I opened the Bible, I was like, oh, I wasn't doing good things. Now I was being reflected of who I really was, especially my heart and the, the inside and everything else. So that's the, the number one thing that we need to, before we can accept the salvation, to realize that we are sinners. We are far away from God. And we need him. So one of the things I think, just again, to drive home the fact that we, I think because we live our lives day in and day out and we don't live with a mindfulness and an acknowledgement of the fact that we are in need of a savior, that we are in deep trouble. We like to live our lives as though for the most part, we just go through the daily grind and things are all okay. It's nice to have God sometimes because he helps us when things get hard, right? That's the way a lot of us look at our faith. But the reality is, is that we are in more, far more trouble, far more danger than what we realize. And some of it is because there's an invisible realm that we don't see, but some of it is because we don't understand the gravity of our sin. It says here that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I heard this illustration once because you may think, well, my sin is not that bad. I am not deserving of hell. But I heard this illustration that, it, that the, it's not so much the sin itself but it's the one you committed the authority and the level of power of the one you commit the sin against if i uh, you know punch 
someone in the face, a friend of mine in the face. They might get upset with me. They might punch me back. Nothing else may come of it. But if I punch someone who, like, let's say I'm in a court of law and I punch the judge, I'm going to find myself in, in lockup. If I come to someone like the Queen of England, you know, before she passed, <laughs> I wouldn't have even been able to get close to her to punch her. I would have been immediately, it would have been high treason. And the gravity would have been so much worse, right? So when we think about it, God is, we're, when we sin, we're offending God. And so we're not offending a peer of ours. We're offending the almighty God who is the king of king and lord of lords. And he's far more important than any king or queen on this planet. And so something that seems to us that's trivial is considered high treason in the, in the courts of heaven. And, and we have to understand that we're being judged by that law and not by what we think is fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there, there's, there was this great book that I read. It said, What is Good? It was a, a small book, and it talks about what is good to me is different than what is good to you. Mm. They are, there are religions out there that would say that killing somebody or beheading another person is good. It's actually favorable towards their relation, uh, relationship with their God. It's good for them to do many things that they think is good. So we can't have that standard of good. Because but there's only one there's standard. One. There's one truth. Yeah. There's one, one law that, it, you know. And again, this righteousness that we have is by grace, right? Apart from the law. Because according to the law, we stand condemned. And just like as if I had tried to attack some royalty, I'm not just going to get a slap on the wrist and get sent home. I might face execution. And scripture lays out very clearly that the wages of sin is death and and potentially separation from God for all eternity. And if we realize that that is the, the verdict under which we stand, again, we like to say, well, Christ didn't come to judge and this and that. He didn't have to at that point because we were already condemned. We already stood condemned mm-hmm. because the wages of our sin were deserving of death. We're, we're all on that path. Um, but thankfully, yes. through Christ, we have... Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, well, just, I just wanted to read what you've been quoted. I think you quoted this, this number of times. Romans six twenty three. it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the positive thing is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we, so now we have these two options. The wages of sin is death, but eternal life in, God, in Christ Jesus. So we're like, all right, so what do we need to do now? Now that we realize that we are condemned, that the wages of sin is death, what do we need to do? Now I have to do something. But Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there was not a lot of change that we need to do before we come to Christ. He did it all. He did it all. The salvation comes from him and him alone. He died for us. I love that that it's before while we were still sinners. He did not wait for us to be perfect. He did not wait for us to do something. He just died for us. That that that's the perfect sacrifice. That's the perfect love. That's that's the thing that's going to bring us closer to God. And again, um to point this out, it starts off, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God, the Father, did this for us to bring us to him. 
I, to, to me, the, the, the word that it's God who did this really, really opens up my eyes, just like in John 3, saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God did a lot of things to, for, for us to come back to him, to save us from the condemnation that we, we had. So that, that's, where that's where salvations come from. Again, for the wages of sin is death. We know that all have sinned. Uh, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the, the Romans wrote is just kind of walking us through the salvation of the salvation walk. Mm -hmm. So how do we put on the helmet of salvation? Romans, again, if you've ever walked through Romans road, we know from Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's a... This is not just saying a salvation prayer. The, the reality is that we are repenting of our previous ways, that we are having a change of heart and a change of mind, that we are submitting to Christ as not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. And what gets into the next step is that not only are we saved, but then we begin the path of sanctification. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So with our mouth and with our heart, we have this change of heart. We repent and we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that is how you put on the helmet of salvation. And this is something that we pick up our cross daily, right? This is not just a one time you say a magical prayer and you're all, you're all good with God. But it is a daily confession that I am choosing to pick up my cross and follow after Christ. That he is now my Lord, that my life is not my own, that I, my will is not my own, but I want the will of the Father to happen in my life. Um, and that is how we put on the helmet of salvation. That is how we are saved. Yeah, I, I think it's a very important, the, this, this word, Jesus is Lord, I think that, that's, that's a very important part of our salvation. That we give lordship to him. That he's in charge of our lives. Proverbs talks about, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your way path straight. We love that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. It, it has all this really wonderful things to say, but to truly, in all your ways, acknowledging Him. How many times? So that's when the selfishness that is in us has to die. It's our desires need to die because it's about Him and Him alone. If He's our Lord, then we're going to listen to what He has to say, and then we're going to do what He has to say and what He's guiding for, for us to do. So people might do the prayer and they're going to say, say the thing that they, they have to say. But is he actually your Lord? And that's how we're going to, the next, one of the next things we're going to talk about is the sanctification. The sanctification is showing that you are, that Jesus is your Lord. So Matthew 24 verses 12 and 13 says this. Again, because I, I, we, we run this danger where the church has kind of gotten hijacked into thinking that you just pray this one little magical prayer and you're safe. Um, that's the beginning of the road of salvation. So it says here in Matthew 24, it says, Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And standing firm has been the theme of this entire series. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Stand firm against the enemy's schemes. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm to the end and you will be saved. Because our salvation, we are working out with fear and trembling. 
So you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and when you proclaim him as your Lord and Savior, you make peace with God. But what happens is, is that's why you need to put on the armor of God, because you have just entered and you are waging war against the standards of this world, against the powers and principalities of darkness. And we can't just think that the war is actually just beginning. Life may have been easy before you accepted Christ as your Savior, but once you proclaim him as your Lord and Savior, now the enemy is out to get you. Now the, you know, there's schemes and devices that are meant to trap you and to take you under. And it says here, warns us that the love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Why do we need to stand firm? What is happening as we stand firm? So between the moment when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior to the moment when we stand before his judgment seat and we are actually proclaimed saved, that in-between space is important, and this is why we want to share about it. It's the sanctification process. So during that process, we are, again, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is not a one instantaneous moment act. It is an ongoing process that our, our flesh is... Um, outwardly we're wasting away but inwardly we're being renewed day by day so we're perishing we're being we're on our way towards destruction and the sanctification process is this process of making us new um, it says in second corinthians five seventeen, for i am an, in christ i am a new creation the old has gone the new has come so we start with the salvation prayer, but the sanctification process is this process of being made new, being made redeemed. And we have to put on that helmet of salvation for the transforming and the renewal of our mind. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? It talks about how we give our lives as a living sacrifice and that we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're being renewed by the transforming of our mind, right? That we might know the will of Christ, that we might know the will of God, test and know his pleasing and perfect will. So this is, so it's important that as we put on the helmet of salvation, you know, again, we, we didn't talk about the fact that this, the helmet is over your mind. What is being made new, what is being redeemed is your entire being but most and foremost and most importantly, your mind is being renewed. Your mind is being transformed. Your mind is being uh, protected from the enemy's schemes when you put on that helmet of salvation. Mm. Absolutely. And as you were saying this about, about that the sanctification starts in the, in the confession of Jesus as the Lord. The, in Matthew 13, it talk, Jesus talks about the parable of sowing seeds and some fell on the good ground and some fell within the weeds and some in the rocky place and some of them are just on the path. So yeah, people hear the gospel and they might get excited and they might even come up to the altar call and pray, pray this prayer that, of salvation, but, but there was, there was, it was shallow. To some it will fall on the good ground and it will, it will take, but to some it is it's just going to be it's, it was an exciting emotional thing and it was going to go away it's going to be a time when as soon as trouble comes it, it will go away as soon as the one, maybe one day two days a week goes by but then it just loses the emotional thing and what salvation what God what Christ it goes away there's a reason why Jesus taught that parable that it's not always when the seed is being thrown and people hear the uh, hear the word of the of the gospel, that that's going to be penetrated and then there's going to be a life uh, sanctified. So it's it's a very important part <coughs> of understanding that there is no special prayer, 
It is the sanctification process of being saved. Now, I, I do have to pause here and I really need to read the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 so that we, we do not go somewhere where we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So we, we really, I really need to pause and because I'm kind of pushing it like, all right, now let's live a sanctified life. I don't want, uh, again, we don't want to say that the way we live our lives is what brings us salvation. Salvation is only from God and God alone. It's his, it's gifted. It, it, he even says, so not by works so that no one can boast so that we cannot say that, look what I did. And the good things that we're going to do, I love where it says for uh, verse 10, it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're like, look what good things I've done. You were created to do that. The reason you're doing good things, because one, God created you to do good things. And two, he prepared in advance for us to do the good things that you're going to do. God already planned for you to do them. So don't be sitting there like, look what I did. And God's like, I've been waiting for you to do it. I, that was the plan. Billions of billions. <laughs> whenever, whenever I thought of you, I thought of this plan. You giving, giving food to this homeless person, it's not. No, I created you. I was going to send you to this person to bless them. So we cannot say, look at these good things to do. That's what you're here to do. That's your purpose. And he planned it out and you and you alone. Without him, we can do nothing. So just before we get into more verses on sanctification, I really wanted to pause here and remind everybody that it's not works. It's nothing that we can boast on. Again, what we need to do is stand firm. It's not that we have to go out and do these good things. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have to go out and fight the enemy and engage in spiritual warfare. What we are commanded to do is to stand firm. And I don't think we realize not only was our salvation brought about, we had nothing to do with it. We didn't, we didn't give our lives on the cross. We didn't face you know, Satan through his death and resurrection, through Christ's death and resurrection. We had no part in our salvation and we have no part in our sanctification either. All we have to do is surrender. It mm-hmm. says here, uh, I quoted this verse earlier. This is Philippians 2, because I, I like when we quote verses to actually say where they're from. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says in the latter part of 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The second part of it, though, is for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So I don't think we realize how little of all of this mm-hmm. process actually has to do with us. It, it thank, thank God that it all rests in his hand. It is him who no one can come to the Father unless he draws us, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. he's the one who gives us the desire for him. He's the one who draws us close to him. Why and how he chose us, I don't know why he chose me, but he did. And he, he loved me before I even knew that he existed. And he draws us, and it says here that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. All we're supposed to be doing, right, is just standing firm. And it says God works in you to will, to even have the will to submit to, his, to him, um, as well as to act according to his good purpose. So apart from him, we literally can do nothing. Yeah, yeah I, I, love, I love that verse. I, I love Paul over here with fear and trembling. 
And then he kind of moves forward in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 27. He keeps on saying, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He do, he's going Philippians with fear and trembling. He's talking about that. And now here, even though he's preaching the gospel to others, he does not want to be disqualified from the price of the salvation. That, that is something that we need to put in our, in our head. Can we, can we do that? Can we commit ourselves? Can we, I love it says, make it my slave. Uh, he's beating his body. And this, this is uh, the passage is talking about. Uh, the runners who run the race. So he's mm-hmm. he's kind of talking about uh, to athletics and everything else. But he's he's really talking about how we need to um, take the sinful nature. When he's talking about my body, my flesh, when I beat it, I, I want to win. I want to beat that body so that way it is no longer um, the sinful nature that incites that that moves me and pushes me and makes me do or say things that I say. But but it's it's my desire. For the salvation. It's my desire to bring glory to God. He does not want to be disqualified. And, and that's, that's a sobering thought of being disqualified. It's a sobering thought that Paul thought about. He might be disqualified. You know, after all the things that he has done for the Lord. Right? He, he, in Corinthians, uh, chapter 2 Corinthians, he goes on this list that he's been beaten three times. He's been... Uh, stoned, he's been shipwrecked. All these things that he's done for for the Lord, he's been around and preached the gospel to others, but he's still like lagging disqualified. And I think it's a healthy fear. I think it's a healthy fear that we we don't cheapen the salvation. Now. Mm. We don't be like, well, I said it when I was five years old. I did the the prayer, and I'm good, and that's it. No, we need to daily. Jesus says, daily pick up the cross. And follow me. It's 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 got to be a daily renewing. So just to to finish with the with the helmet, we see that when in Christ, right? We he is now our head. He is now the head of the church. He's our Lord. Um, and symbolically, when you look at the body of Christ, Christ Himself is the head. And so we put on the helmet of salvation as an acknowledgement, as a recognition that we are under Him. He is now our head. And 2 Corinthians says this, we have the mind of Christ. Mm. Um, and giving it some context in verse, this is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse 14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then he goes on to say, but we have the mind of Christ. And this is, without the helmet of salvation, we are subjected to all of the enemy's schemes, the battles and the attacks against our mind. Not just the, the mind itself, but the helmet also covers your ears. It focuses your eyes. And so it, all of the senses, that, the things that are coming in, the sensory information that we're getting from the world around us is being filtered when we wear this helmet of salvation. We have to see that it doesn't just, it's not just like a belief that we hold in our mind. It's not an intellectual concept, but it's actually what we, the way we see things the way we hear things, the way we function, the way we interact, the way we operate in this world needs to change. And we have to have not our own mind and not our own will, but the mind of Christ himself. Amen. 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 
Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.